0: On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we're racing to hit 7,000 RPM. That's right. We're talking Ford v. Ferrari. Get your popcorn ready. So you're going to beat old man Ferrari with a Ford? Correct. How long did you tell him that you needed? Two, 300 years? 90 days. <laughs> we heard he's difficult. No, no. Ken's a puppy dog.
1: <clears throat> come here. Morning, Shelby. Morning, Molly. She can come apart. One way to find out.
0: Welcome, all you good movie buddies, to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us today back. On the podcast, a special guest, good movie buddy, co-host, The Greek Machine, my brother-in-law, Mr. Matt Theodosis. Matt, how you doing today? Doing great. Thank you for filling in. This This has been, first off, apologies for missing last week's episode to all of our listeners. It, we are wrapping up. David, myself, I know, Matt's shaking my head. He's very disappointed he didn't get the episode on whatever the hell came out midway, apparently, or Charlie's Angels. Who knows what my... Who knows what my my white man take on Charlie's Angels would be. Probably, spoiler alert, it's pretty good. Um, but it's we're just wrapping up David and I's busy travel season. I am finally off the road for the rest of the year. But David, unfortunately, is still on the road. So, yeah, we saw – what did we see? We saw Ford v. Ferrari. We did. How would you like it? It was good. It you was liked a great it? film, yeah. So – Normally, David here is the one who is the historian statistician on here, but I did a little but obviously not here. Um, and, man, I, there's so much I want to talk about with you. I don't even mention the fact that you have a son now and that I have a, a little good movie buddy nephew named Max. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. I feel like as soon as Max is ready, we're going to have him on the podcast. Like as soon as the first words come out.
1: Get him over here. I
0: know that there's a lot of waiting to do, but I forgot how how long it takes for a baby to actually mature and develop. Because I was like, OK, the baby's out. So like how long till it's walking and talking again? Oh, years. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. When's the next Jurassic Park? Exactly. Um, but a lot has happened since you were last on this podcast, man. We I don't think you were last on here. I think a year ago for Ant-Man and the Wasp, if I remember correctly. Right. I don't think you've been on between. Yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp. That was was a good time. And and so now we're here, we're talking about Ford v. Ferrari, which is, I want to talk about the title as well, because this is a real life story, or it is sort of a real life story about, actually it is a real life story, but it is sort of about the rivalry between Henry Ford II and Enzo Ferrari. And I say sort of because they're really, even though the movie is titled 4V Ferrari and it's about these two titans of industry basically getting into an epic pissing contest, they don't factor that much into the movie. This movie is more about the relationship between Carroll Shelby and Ken Miles and their drive, their desire to just be the best, to hit perfection. You know, and this is not the first movie to do that. Um, but here's a fun fact, Matt. And this is something that I read, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Originally, this was a movie. This was an original concept script written by Jason Keller. And um, it had since gone through, before it got here, and went through the hands of um, Jez and John Henry Butterworth, I believe, who actually wrote a lot of good stuff. They wrote Edge of Tomorrow. They wrote Get On Up, Black Mask. um, They had their hands in Spectre. um, And it was originally going to be directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who directed Tron Legacy and directed uh, that movie, that sci-fi movie with Tom Cruise where he's like a clone who gets, you know the one I'm talking about where he's like on future Earth? Edge of Tomorrow. No, not Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, no, Edge
1: of Tomorrow is the, the one with the power suit. Edge, Edge of Tomorrow is uh, the one
0: where he's a power suit. It's called like Oblivion. Oblivion, That's yeah, 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 yeah. So they had their hands on all of that. And speaking of Tom Cruise, originally this movie was set to star, and I couldn't find out who was who, but it was set to star Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Now, obviously, as we sit here today talking about the movie, it instead stars Matt Damon as Carol Shelby and – Christian Bale as the real life British guy, Ken miles. And so I'm wondering what, who you think who would have played who, like, it seems pretty obvious,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, Tom Cruise, I don't think Tom Cruise would give up playing the, the race car driver.
0: No, I mean, he's done it before. Yeah. And, but has, I can't remember without looking at his filmography, he's done British accent before, right? Like he did
1: like interview with the vampire He's and done British accent, he did. German accent. Yeah, but
0: I, even in Valkyrie, like I don't think they made him do German accent. Oh, did he not? Yes. I, I, I don't remember. I don't remember
1: either. It's been a while. They basically cast that
0: movie with a bunch of American and British dudes and yeah, told yeah. them all to play Germans. But who? It, like, it would make sense, and especially if for no other reason than you think about their demeanors as actors— yeah. Like you got to imagine Tom Cruise would have played Ken Miles and Brad Pitt would have played Carol Shelby, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you think that would have been an upgrade or a downgrade from what we got?
1: Two, uh, two of arguably our biggest. I think that Brad Pitt could have nailed the role of Carol Shelby. Shelby, for yeah. sure. Yeah. You look at him in. What is it? One of your favorite movies, Moneyball. Yeah, Moneyball. Right, and he's kind of that. It's kind of that same managerial role. Yeah, it's where, all, it's a very similar. Like this is kind of like Carol Shelby's yeah, Moneyball, where where all the pressure is on him from higher up, from a management. Yeah, standpoint. Yeah, from a na- management standpoint, and you, you only have so much control. So, right. I think he could have easily. Killed that role. Tom Cruise, you know, I I think that Christian Bale was definitely a better fit. Well, he's definitely British. Well, he's definitely British, but Tom Cruise would have been Tom Cruise through and through. You know, I don't know.
0: As much as we loved—like, Tom Cruise is great. He's crazy, but he's great, but he's really— He's only great at being Ethan Hunt, and that's not that's not entirely yeah, true. Yeah, I
1: mean, he can do emotion. Yeah, but I it's, mean, it's Magnolia. Very, and yeah, he's, he's done great work, but
0: I can't say it'd be an upgrade. No, no, Christian, and it would have been interesting to see him try and do a British accent. Although I'm sure he would have pulled it off, but he definitely. Miles is the showier role. Yeah, for sure. You know, he's the one who's yelling and throwing fits and huffing around. And, oh, great. Like, it's funny. Christian Bale gets to throw kind of very similar fits. There's a scene in the film where he's yelling at a uh, uh, like a, a right re- like a referee, like a guy who's regulation checking the cars. Yeah. And that guy's like, oh, you can't drive this car. And he goes off on this tangent that reminded me of the tangent that he was recorded going on on the Terminator set do you oh, remember yeah.
1: that Oh yeah he's not acting no
0: he's <laughs> just, oh screw you what do you know about all this and he gets to use his real accent too yeah. which is
1: you forget I would, forget I would be
0: hard pressed let's look at his filmography real quick here if we pull up Christian uh, to Bale s-
1: to see if he ever used his real accent when
0: was the last time he oh. used his honest to God maybe like British accent
1: the Illusionist or something Let's like that. Let's look at
0: this here. We got Vice. Definitely not. He did the voice of Bagheera. That's probably his voice. Yeah. Right? Hostiles played in American. Big Short American. Or sorry, The Prestige. Exodus. He did Moses. He probably kept his real yeah, voice there. Probably. Hustle American. American Hustle was American voice. Out of the Furnace, American voice. Dark Knight Rises, Batman, Flowers of War, The Fighter. Public Enemies, Salvation, Dark Knight—I'm not there. The Prestige is probably one of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while since he. I mean, he didn't even use his real voice back in Equilibrium, back in twenty twelve. Uh, yeah. Two oh two. So he actually gets to like be use his real English accent, and he's great in this movie. Oh yeah. Let's go into the spoiler free thoughts. Let's just talk about like kind of the movie in general, and then we'll kind of dive deeper down into our into our you know specific likes, dislikes, whatever. Okay. But for me, one of the, the – so the whole pitch of the movie, and this is in the trailers and whatnot, is John Bernthal comes in and he's like – Ford's like, well, we got to sell more cars, blah, blah, blah. And, and Bernthal's like, we got to race at Le Mans. And I was like, in 1964, did anybody give a shit about Le Mans? Had you heard of that about that race before? not
1: you're not a big gearhead or a big racer guy but no I'm not a big racer f- or a big race fan. I've heard of it but I mean I've heard the name and I know small track sure you know but that's about it. Yeah
0: I I I it's just interesting because obviously it's based on a true story, right? But yeah. I found it interesting <clears throat> that Ford's struggle to sell to American buyers, was was then answered by we need to go win this French race during a time yeah. where like it's not like they had 200
1: channels to watch no I I think the the whole point there was trying to get into an exotic market yeah yeah, yeah with his points of you know that james bond you know it's right. exotic it's younger drivers are coming up and wanting to feel that movie star next level sure. feeling people, people
0: were paying more attention there was the that was right around i mean that was like european invasion that's like you're talking yeah. beatles yeah. you're talking like everybody's that's looking exactly to Europe. that's same same time. I guess that makes sense. For me, I thought it was funny. I I to me I was like, Oh, okay, so our answer to like beef up consumer interest in America is to go to this French race that I had never heard of before and I was I, I didn't do a ton of research on Le Mans, but I was like, it was it really that popular? Uh I didn't know I, I did some research on the history of it. Um yeah, and I was gonna save it for spoilers, but yeah, you know what? We'll save it for spoilers. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. I did more history on it, but I I found that interesting, despite the fact that it's true, like it's well documented. I was just like, that's the plan. Like that's our plan to yeah, increase. Yeah, you would American- think it'd
1: be beefier muscle cars. You know, this right. is the this is America. But this was, I guess, kind of the
0: prelude kind to of it, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: which is a actually a really good point. Where Carroll Shelby, the
0: Ford Shelby Mustang, GT, yeah, like they there is a moment in the film where they, you know, bring out it's the Mustang, it's the new car, yeah, and Ken Miles shits all over it because it's a piece of junk that's being sold to consumers, but yeah. not a race car. Um, so let's talk about the movie in general. I think one of my favorite parts about this movie is that it, it's also almost a knock on it. And it's that this movie doesn't do anything that you haven't seen before. This movie isn't isn't particularly flashy.
1: Uh, would you agree with that? No, it it's definitely character and story driven. Sure. Which is,
0: I mean, again, I wonder. I guess Ford v Ferrari is the selling is the selling. That's point. the selling point. It's the history. Because it's not. It's really. Like it's really about Shelby and Miles, but yeah. you can't make a movie called Shelby and Miles because yes, yeah. nobody's gonna There's go lo- see it. Yeah. But I I like that this movie is director James Mangold, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh he did Logan for those listening who who want a little bit of reference. He did Logan, um, which made a shitload of money and basically is giving James Mangold kind of carte blanche as to whatever he wants to make right now. But I really appreciated that this is, like, a almost a workman-like movie. Like, it's just solidly made from top to bottom. It doesn't have anything that you haven't already seen in other movies. Like, Damon being movie star, swagger, Damon. We've seen that before. Bale being big performance, emotion. We've seen that before. We've seen racing movies before, well, like, We'll talk I mean I mean this is good enough time to talk about it as any Rush, which yeah. Ron Howard made. Uh you saw Rush, right? Mm-hmm. What did you think of Rush? I thought it was great. Chris Hemsworth, Daniel Bruhl. Yeah. That was another two guys. You know why that movie didn't make any money? Because nobody knew who Nikki Lauda is or yeah. Hemsworth character whose name I is I'm forgetting right now. But that that movie <laughs> great was acting dope. though. That movie great was acting. awesome. Yeah. That movie was phenomenally acted. That movie was all about racing. And I just, I like that it is about, it's just a solid movie made by professionals. Yeah. About solid people wanting to be professionals. You know, there's this kind of weird subgenre. And I don't know if you can think of any off the top of your head, but there's this weird subgenre of movies that are just about people who are good at their jobs. You know, who who who, who that's the struggle. The struggle is I got to be good at my job. Yeah. And it's this, it's rush, it's like draft day with Kevin Costner. Do you ever see mm, draft day? Yeah. Again, not a flashy movie, not a movie that necessarily everybody's going to remember, but like a solidly entertaining flick featuring a bunch of people in it. Did you do you think that that hurts the movie that it doesn't try to do anything flashy for you? For you, obviously, your opinion does. It, did it hurt the movie that it is? It came in like at probably at expectation. Did
1: it meet your expectation? Exceed your expectation? Well, I think the flash is in the characters. I think the flash is in. Um, <clears throat> the the Ken Miles tantrums I think it's in the racing Uh uh-huh I think it's in the the flashy new cars I think it's in the style of the film but I I think it well it exceeded my expectations because I'm not a huge racing fan so I went into it going okay it's a racing movie it's a racing movie You're,
0: you're there for the two stars
1: yeah right yeah which, but, is,
0: which is nice because it shows that star power still matters.
1: Oh, absolutely. And going into it, not knowing anything about the story at all. Right. I, it was a great story. It's a true story, mm-hmm. but it didn't have to be. Like It's a good enough story. To man. me, It it that story could have been written as a fiction and been perfect. I mean, there's so much without spoiling it that happens that... I'm like, oh, shit. Right. Oh, like shit. That was a real –
0: these little details yeah, the, here and there. their
1: story is amazing in itself. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was solid movie all around, great performances. I think movies with performances that are that solid, just great actors near the top of their acting yeah, game act their ass is rare. Off. I think that's rare. I think a lot of people phone in their their – Movies these days, and we sure. saw it with um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Which is a flashy film, right? But actors at the top of their game, acting, acting, and just nailing their performances. And, and
0: for the most part, being and that's you know, it's funny you bring up that movie too, uh, much like that movie. I think what I like about these performances the most, and this is a good segue into the performances part of it, is that they're playing people who don't, as we get into the Oscar season, they're just playing regular people. You know, yeah. in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Brad Pitt's just a guy, uh, Rick Dalton's just a guy, uh, or Leo DiCaprio. Yeah. Like they're just actors. <clears throat> and yeah, they're going through their stuff and they alcoholic, has been, whatever. And same thing with here, like, you know, Shelby's got his issues. Keller Shelby's got his heart issues. Ken Miles has his attitude issues and stuff like that. But what's refreshing is that there isn't some gimmick, for lack of a better word. It's not like like Christian Bale gained a thousand pounds to play Dick Cheney. Or it's no. not like one of these characters is like a paraplegic, cancer-stricken whatever. Yeah. Or they're not, you know... Uh whatever. Take your pick for whatever Oscar pick, Oscar bait
1: performance. It's not a beautiful mind. It's not, it's not a beautiful mind. It's crazy. not boys don't cry. It's yeah. not
0: like the they have a they have a uh well, what's the word I'm looking for? A conflict. There is a dramatic goal in yeah. which they want to reach, but it is not I don't know. It's just refreshing. It's 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 good, you know, it's good. It's it's as much as I love like and I was actually just looking back at last year's best actor winners and I'm so still inconsolable over the fact that Rami Malek won that best actor Oscar. But like you look <laughs> at Christian Bale and it's a gimmick. Like, yeah, he's going to disappear into the role and you're not even going to recognize him. Listen, I love it. I thought he should have won. But still, there's 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 it's almost so great that it's distracting. Yeah. Same thing is true of Bradley Cooper had to completely reinvent himself. And he's playing this alcoholic burnout, you know, tortured soul. I'm tortured. soul. I got to talk like this. And then you see like guys like and Willem Dafoe playing, you know, Vincent Van Gogh. But then you have Vigo playing Green Book which the less said about that movie, the better. <laughs> but, like, at least Vigo was have fun with it. Like, yeah. it's a good performance, a dramatic performance, a character that evolves, but there isn't, like, the weight of the world on his shoulders. For better or for worse, many would argue for worse for that movie. And that's what I like about these performances. That's what I like about Matt Damon and Christian Bale, is that they're, particularly these characters, and going back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is they're just playing... Guys who their main struggle in life is I don't know their genius for lack of a better word, and trying to get trying to uh, manifest that, you know, yeah, and and I like that I appreciate that. Now, how do you feel about all the that guys in this movie? Because there's a lot of that guys. Um, you are actually bringing up a really good point. So this has Damon and Bale obviously. Yeah. But it also has a couple of people in it who people might not recognize, or they might just barely recognize. So obviously, John Bernthal's in it. Mm-hmm. Love John Bernthal. Probably big enough to not be a that guy anymore. To us. To us. <laughs> he's the Punisher. Yeah. He was the Punisher. He was. I'm trying to think of what else he's been in that would be like a big role. He was Fury. But that's an ensemble
1: cast, so it's like. Right, he's part of an ensemble. Same here, part of an ensemble.
0: Yeah. But then you got Tracy Letts, who plays Harry Ford, the, Henry Ford the Second. Yeah, and he played the dad in Lady Bird. He's an acclaimed screenwriter and playwright. You got Ray McKinnon, who plays Remington, who's basically Shelby's right hand man. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, and I don't know if you ever watched Deadwood, but Ray McKinnon was the Reverend in the first season of Deadwood, and I was like, I, yeah. I, I yeah. recognize this guy. And he's also an accomplished, like, producer, and he created his own television show and stuff like that.
1: And then there's Josh Lucas. Which, good for him, man. Good for McKinnon? Yeah. Good for, well, good for Josh Lucas. I feel like Josh Lucas was—he was on the verge of being this huge lead.
0: He he has been around.
1: He, he's been around. He was like— Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah, he was like a—, a Poor man's Matthew McConaughey in, cer- in certain aspects, Uh-huh. but always played more of a straight role than Matthew McConaughey. Really, the early 2000s were good for him because he had a,
0: he had a role in Beautiful Mind, and then he did Sweet Home Alabama. He's yep. the he's the second lead in that, or he's yeah. actually the main lead, and Dempsey's the second yeah. lead. Yeah. Then he shows up. Ang Lee wants him in Hulk. Yeah. And we'll talk about that role back in a second cuz he's basically playing the same yeah. guy. And then he's in Stealth, lead lead role in that, Glory Road, lead role in that, Poseidon, lead role in that, pretty halfway decent in all those movies. And then what happened? Well, Glory Road, Poseidon, and Stealth all took a shit. Yeah. And he's been steadily working. I mean, the guy has been working pretty, I mean, he's in a movie every year. But he's also—you bring up an interesting point about McConaughey in that he's also what's the word I'm looking for? Sniveling. He's a little weaselier than
1: McConaughey is. He's not. He's he's not as much of the everyman's man, right? He's, he's not, not a good as, old boy. He's not as relatable. I mean, Sweet Home Alabama. He's he
0: from. He's from Little Rock.
1: Yeah, he's there you from go. Arkansas. So. Sweet Home, Alabama is probably the closest he got to normal. Peak potential, yeah. Well, normal, relatable. I I don't know. I think he's just too straight in all his roles. Too just. He's on Yellowstone now. Great. Oh, there you go. Great mo- Great show there. Like just too straight and narrow. Like he doesn't veer. He's plain. Uh, he's solid. He's Glory Road. He's, he's solid. He's solid. He's plain Jane. Yeah, there's no outlandish chari- characteristics about him where there are with someone like Matthew McConaughey. Exactly. Or it's Christian funny, Bale. He, was,
0: he was in The Lincoln Lawyer with Matthew McConaughey.
1: Yeah. But I I bring up Ross Lucas
0: because he is both, I think, one of the better parts of this movie, but yeah. also one of the worst parts of this movie. <laughs> in that he is just... Famed that guy, dickhead in the Hulk, yeah. like, like all time, dickhead in the Hulk, yeah. right? And really gets it fairly good, like gets blown up in the comic book style. Spoilers for Angley's the Hulk, um, but he's basically playing the same guy here. Yeah, and I find it interesting that th- I, this is probably my favorite part of the movie is that the the main antagonist of this movie isn't Ferrari. It's not the race cars or anything like that. It's corporate bullshit.
1: And I think that that's
0: really interesting. Um, And I wonder, I wonder how, if that's intentional, like I wonder if you have, obviously this is a, a piece of art. It's a film made by artists. And I wonder if it's intentional that, You know, Shelby and Ken Miles were artists in their own way in the creation of these automobiles in creating a thing that can go that fast for that long. Like there's an art to that. Right. Yeah. And I have to wonder if they if Josh Lucas stands as like that corporate middleman, pencil pusher, needle nose I'm just trying to please my boss above me, and I don't really care about the results. And if that's just the general stand-in for any artistic-minded person ever,
1: well, absolutely. Look at the the film business, and you could say strip st- strip off all of the producers, right? Who gets and, in the way? Studio. I heads mean, and suits. studio heads—they're paying for the film, right? But they also stand in the way of the art. Right. Which you've heard from directors such as Kevin Smith. Uh Uh-huh. Opportunity to do big movies and make them make them artistic, make them great, not make them soulless. Yeah, soulless. And, you know, the producers, it's the same, same way. Corporate Ford's corporate has the money, so they have a hand in it. They, right. At the end of the day, it's what they want. Right. Production companies at the end of the day. Right. You know, they're going to give... There's, there's obviously directors who have more leeway, and there's actors that have more leeway. Oh, of course. But for the most part, you see a lot of crap. A lot of movies that were okay that could have been better. Sure. I'm sure if they weren't meddled with meddled with throughout the process you have a script that comes in the script's fine Uh and then it goes through 20 different people 16 different writers
0: it goes through all these notes you should look up if you have never done this and and listeners as well should do this because they're out there right but you can find studio notes from classic movies like they surface right yeah so like one that i just saw was studio notes for blade runner and it's and it's just all this bullshit. Right. Yeah. And it's you're right in that these studios are fronting the bill. These studios, they come to a writer, a director, an actor, and they're like, We love the work that you do. We wanna work with you. We wanna put together this great motion picture and we wanna give you, you know, the full enchilada. You can cast whoever you want, do whatever you want, right? And then some executive producer comes in and is like, I have script notes. And it's, well, why aren't we doing this? Can't they have a funny character yeah. sidekick? Can't they do this? Can't they do that? And they just... It's almost like they can't
1: yeah. help themselves. No. Well, because they have the they have the power, so they feel entitled. Right. Although it's not their mind that's getting the work done. Right. You know, so it's the same it's way. It's some money. Like, and, admittedly, it's and a money there thing. Is, there is... A great scene with Damon. Uh huh.
0: Which it, we'll talk about. Which
1: we'll talk about. That is exactly that. It's if you put, if you interchange that piece of paperwork for a script on a movie. Right. It's the same thing, only, no, it's probably the same thing. You probably go <laughs> through 16 different people, uh-huh. and then it finally gets to the last person, and who knows if it even was what it was in the beginning. Right. This one, it's just... It's the inefficiency. The inefficiency. Because uh, it,
0: there's a line in the movie about how, like, you can't build a race car by committee or something yeah. like that, which is the total opposite of filmmaking. Filmmaking is all done by committee. It's all yeah. done by crew. It's a collaborative effort and, yeah. and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. But there is always a creative vision moving it forward. Yeah. And when that creative vision... Is at direct odds with the, and I talk about this all the time how filmmaking is an art form, regardless of if Kevin Smith is making his movie for $2 million, regardless of if, you know, Bong Joo Ho is making his movie in South Korea, or regardless of whether or not Marvel gives the next up and coming director $300 million to play in their playground. It's all art. Yeah, but it's also it's commercial art. It's designed to make money. It's a business. It's an industry. So it's there's a natural butting of heads that is just. It's not only fascinating in this movie, but as an allegory for filmmaking, it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked about all the acting. Uh, I again, we and the storytelling and the way I also like. And you you mentioned how you know you're not that big into racing. I'm not either. I'm not a NASCAR guy or a formula one guy, I just don't ever watch racing, but racing movies are always so much fun because they're like boxing movies where you have, it's a perfect analogy. It's all of the inner turmoil of what these guys are going through that is made external by like, I got to hit the perfect lap or you look at like the Rocky movies or Creed where it's, I have to fight through my father's legacy mentally but physically you also have to fight the physical manifestation of what took your father's legacy down and i think that that's easy to understand you know it's easy to make that connection where and it's easy for audiences to get it because they can take the internal turmoil and turn it externally and i like that
1: yeah i think there's a relatability but there's also a a sense of Thrilling in both types of films that you can never relate to. Right. It's like Top Gun and Fighter Jets. Yeah. You know, like you're on the edge of your seat and you don't even know what they're experiencing. Right. Because it's so over your head. You're relating to them mentally Mm -hmm. when it comes to everything around them, their personal turmoil. But it's also like... On, you're on a roller coaster because right. you don't you don't know what's going to happen and it's fast and it's you can't relate. It's funny because
0: like think about think about this movie and you think about like Creed and think about Top Gun. Right. And think about the inner turmoil that the characters are going through and how not interesting it would be for like Ken Miles and Carol Shelby to just be like, yeah, we made the, cool, the best car. High five. Or for Creed to be like sitting with a therapist and being like, I understand I'm not, I, I have my own legacy. Or in Top Gun, when you got Maverick, who's gun shy and jittery because of Goose's death and whatever, and because of his own father's history and whatnot. Like imagine him sitting there with like a military psychologist, like having a breakthrough and how not interesting, depending, it could be very interesting. There are a lot of movies that are made like that, that are like, you know, emotionally rewarding, but they give us the physical manifestation of that. Instead of us seeing Tom Cruise's character have a breakthrough, guess what? Now he can fly the jet better. He can shoot the bad guys down. He's <laughs> locked in. Same thing here. Like these guys, instead of worrying about, you know, oh, is this car gonna beat? Like, can I do it? It's it's in the racing. You know, yeah. it's in the manifestation of it. Uh, the last thing I want to mention before we get to popcorn ratings is James Mangold, and I just wanted to list off his directing filmography because it is wild. It starts with Copland, which is one of my favorite kind of crime noir movies. Ooh, yeah. Love Copland, amazing cast. And then Girl Interrupted, one Angelina Jolie and Oscar, <laughs> and then Kate and Leopold. What? How? We're doing the time traveling romantic comedy and then identity solid little horror thriller psychological thriller walk the line oscars 310 to yuma Yuma.
1: great and then night and day (laughs) which is tom cruise's maybe most forgettable movie it was entertaining
0: it's entertaining but it's also very white bread yeah absolutely um and then the wolverine and then logan and then ford v ferrari that is such an interesting filmography. So you
1: see, you see a history of very solid storylines and very solid acting yeah. in a ton of those movies. But you also see uh, his history of action, uh-huh. fast paced action. Yep. I don't know what to say about uh, Kate and Leopold. That's a that's an outlier. Sometimes, I mean, you know, he did a he did a romance you know he did the time but it's also you see a lot of
0: there are a lot there's a lot of character in those movies yeah absolutely. there's a lot of understanding these flawed characters and what make them tick yeah uh copland is full of flawed characters and mode and changing motivations you walk the line walk the line 310 to yuma all of those and he after the debacle that was x-men origins wolverine he made the wolverine and logan which are the wolverine's solid it's not great but it's yeah. it's it's decent it's way better than x-men origins and then logan which was it got nominated for an academy award for writing like it was the first yeah. comic book movie to do that so i'm interested in what james mangold does man that guy is every every once in a while when we do our movies on here it's always interesting to see a pattern and be like oh james mangold okay I'm interested in what they're doing next. It's like James Gray with Ad Astra or Taylor Sheridan with Heller Highwater. Like there are certain newer and I struggle to call him newer since he's been working since Copland. But there are it's smaller, it's not your Spielbergs, it's not your Scorsese's. But I'll be there next time James Mangold's announced he's doing
1: something. I'm gonna pay attention. Well, you know he he's got he's got a lot of uh What's the word I'm looking for? He can do. He's not just doing action. He can do depth. He can do character-driven movies. Right. He Can do twists. Twists drama. So when you know, it's different than a than a James than a who might or not James uh, Michael Bay. Oh, vastly. You know where time. you know. You know what you're gonna get. You're gonna get action. Right. CG right romance and and depth are in there somewhere, mm-hmm. but certainly secondary. So but with this, it's yeah. it's
0: he's can do all that, but he's got characters, motivation, psychology tied in there. Yeah. Whereas Michael Bay is one of the greatest. I genuinely believe he deserves to be talked about as one of like the smartest, most interesting filmmakers, despite the fact that his movies are often dumber than a box of rocks. Yeah. But visually speaking, boy, I could do a whole hour just on Michael Bay, like easily. Um, let's be—we got. I want to talk spoilers because we talked about a couple scenes, and I want to talk about favorite scenes and stuff. But before we do that, uh, we got to do our popcorn ratings. All right.
1: What's that noise? Popcorn.
0: You making popcorn? Uh huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. And for those who have never listened to the podcast before, we do our ratings a little bit differently. We don't do thumbs up or three, four, five stars. We have five different popcorn ratings that we like to give out. Burnt popcorn means it's garbage. Don't waste your time, even if it's free. There's no redeeming qualities at all. Stale popcorn means like in a pinch, if you have to, like I guess you could watch it if it's free or you're only spending a dollar on Redbox, but it's not Great. Microwave popcorn is middle of the road. Just like microwave popcorn, your mileage may vary. The best microwave popcorn is still pretty darn good, but sometimes it can also be unsatisfying. So that's what microwave popcorn is. It's okay. It's fine. Then we have movie theater popcorn, which is you should probably go see this in a movie theater. It's pretty good. It's worth an investment of your time and money. And then perfect popcorn, which means go out, see this in a movie theater as soon as possible. And then if we're ever in between those, we throw a soda in there as well. So if it's not quite movie theater popcorn, then I say, okay, it's it's microwave popcorn and a soda. So Matt, what is your popcorn rating for Ford v Ferrari?
1: To be honest, it's pretty close to perfect. Pretty close. Is it enough or is it movie theater popcorn and a soda?
0: That's the that's the question. Cuz I'm about there as well.
1: I'd say suspense. I know. I'd say it's all riding it, on this. I'd say movie theater <laughs> popcorn and a and a soda. You know, I, I, I I'm not going to say perfect because right You can talk Oscars, and you can say Christian Bale absolutely deserves an Oscar, Mm -hmm. but was it one of those just drop down, just amazing performances? Right? Was it a Daniel Day Lewis? Right. Or or even a Christian or even a Christian Bale performance? Was it? I mean, I'm not saying he didn't put it all out there because it was a really good. If he won the Oscar, it would be deserved. Sure. But it wasn't quite the top of the level. yeah top. Right. To, but it, I mean, was it above every other acting performance I've seen this year? Probably. Probably. I mean, that's the problem with something like that is, you're you're rating them against themselves sure and since you know that that christian bale has the capability of being damn near perfect Mm -hmm. just like someone like daniel day lewis when you see him do something that's better than everybody else but not Mm -hmm. all the way there Mm -hmm. you know
0: yeah i'm the same i'm i'm at i'm at movie theater popcorn in a soda as well and it's really tough for me because This is the quintessential. You know, there's a lot of talk about how these types of movies are in danger of disappearing and whatnot, simply because, you know, theaters, uh, theater goers, they're going to the big blockbusters now. They're not interested in the character driven stories anymore. And the fact that this movie made, I think, upwards of 30 plus million dollars in its opening weekend actually is good. Like, that's a good good, sign.
1: That's a good sign. You, You need these movies. You need these movies.
0: But at the same time, we talked about it. this is a workmanlike movie. It's a workmanlike style, workmanlike quality. It is solid all the way around. It's like it's like the good old cheeseburger, like going back and getting a really good cheeseburger and knowing, okay, this is nothing new. I'm not gonna be surprised, but damn, is it good, right? Is it as good as other things out there? No, it's not. It's not as flashy. The, the, the difficulty level isn't that high on this type of movie. It's not trying to break new ground. Damon is awesome. Christian Bale is awesome. The racing is awesome. But it's, it's also stuff that you've seen. You've seen Matt Damon be awesome. You've seen Christian Bale be awesome. You've seen racing be awesome. So it, it is not anything that is going to, I would say, surprise you. And it's not anything that does anything different. But what it does do, it does so damn well. That you just, you can't help it. Um, So both of us, movie theater popcorns and a soda. And we are going to get into spoilers. But before we do, we got to take a quick little break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free by hitting that subscribe button or following wherever you're listening from. Just take a minute. Just take a second to like rate subscribe to the popcorn diet share it with any and all of your good movie buddies we also want to remind you to check us out on patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast for a few bucks not only is it going to help us improve the podcast better you know not only is it going to help us roll out more content but it's also going to get you early access to that content as well patrons are listening to this episode a few days earlier than everybody else just because they decided to say hey I like your podcast here's a couple bucks so check us out patreon.com the popcorn diet be like Austin Frankie be like our good our good movie buddy Austin Frankie a good friend of Matt and I's new patron of the podcast. Uh, be like Austin. Be more like Austin, and become a patron of the podcast by going to Patreon.com/slash/ThePopcornDiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget our social media: on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, Oscar predictions, and more on our website, PopcornDietPodcast.com. But Matt, it's time to talk a little bit of spoilers now, and and there's not a lot of spoilers here. I did want to briefly talk about the history of Le Mans, Le Mans and then we can kind of get into our favorites. But I just I found this interesting. Um, and I again, I don't know if this is if history is really spoilers or not, but I found it interesting. And I did have kind of a further all converse, overall conversation about it. So in the movie, they say that Ferrari has won the last, you know, however many Le Mans races. And that was right. In 1960, 61, 62, 63, and 64, Ferrari won those races. In 65, a Ferrari car won the race, but it was driven by the North American racing team, so it wasn't an Italian victory. And what I find interesting about that is because this very much was poised in the film as like an Italian mentality versus American mentality, and so I wonder if Enzo Ferrari gave a shit, you know. It doesn't matter if it's my car or not. But this movie doesn't divulge that kind of stuff. Does not interested in it. So Shelby American, which was Carroll Shelby's racing team, won using Fords in 1966 and 1967. And this movie depicts their racing in 66. And then JW Automotive Engineering was a British team. That run one in 68 and 69 driving Fords as well. So again, like, it's a question of, you know, what's more valuable winning? Is it the car or is it the racing team? You know what I mean? Because in this movie, it obviously focuses on the racing team, but the whole goal is to get the car to win. And I found that interesting. Um, And then the last i looked at the last 10 years as well and the last 10 years have mostly been a battle between audi and porsche like literally i think it's 6 of the last 10 years was audi a couple of the last 10 years was porsche and the last 2 years were the first ever won by a toyota car and a japanese team um now the last time a japanese team won le mans was back in 1991 driving a mazda so now the Japanese have entered in, into the race, so to speak, and I find all that interesting. But are you okay with all of those details being left out for a more dramatic story? Like, it does does it really matter in what we're trying to talk about?
1: You know, I guess it depends on what they're trying to portray. Sure. I, I, it did seem they never they never said outright this is an Italian versus American. Right, war. I mean, but it's Ford but, versus Ferrari. But it it kind of implies that very much so. Um, and by by leaving out the fact that a North American team won mm-hmm. that year, mm-hmm. it if they would have said, okay, you know, Am- Americans won yeah. this last year, right. Uh, You know, the stakes wouldn't have been as high. Here's another one for you. In 1964,
0: I believe it was. Let me see if I can find this. Oh, man. It was, I think it was 64. Let me see. I could be wrong here, but, or maybe it was 65. No, it was 65. In 65, which is a year before this movie is set, in 65, Shelby American raced in the Le Mans and lost and Ken Miles raced in the Le Mans and did not finish in the year before and that is all um abbreviated in this movie by Ken being left at home for a race which I don't remember if it was depicted as Le Mans or not but they were he's he's in the garage he's working on a car it
1: it was it was because they went to France which is funny because Ken Miles was on that race team yeah and so instead of instead of saying that he, Ford sent him, uh-huh. and you know he just wasn't good enough, or, right? Or they weren't. It was ah, oh, they're they If they only sent him, they would win, right? You know, and that's that. So it it helps. It helps depict the Ford corporate mm-hmm. in a worse light when actually, oh, you know he. He did go, and and he didn't win.
0: Here's another fun fact. In 1964, so again, this movie depicts them winning 1966. Yes. In 1965, in reality, Ken Miles went and raced with McLaren, and they didn't place because their fuse box burnt out, which is depicted in the movie. They talk about that. just not him. It's just not him. It was McLaren. In 1964, Shelby American's racing team with Bondurant and Gurney as the drivers placed
1: fourth. But that that none of that is taught here. And none s- of that is mentioned. No, here. because here they're saying oh f- why would Ford race in a European race? Right. When in fact they've raced in the race prior. Yeah, they raced 2 years prior. I didn't go into the 16. 60- so it's like no, it definitely changed changes the the stakes. Um, it wouldn't be as impressive, I feel like, if oh, Ford's been racing and they've been losing. Now, I still think it's impressive that Ferrari, a Ferrari car, whether it be the team or just the car. Oh, sure. won every year prior. And they were trying to overtake Ferrari with a Ford. Right no matter what team it is. I mean so, Ferrari
0: ran the freaking show there. Yeah, like,
1: so that's still the stakes are are there with that, but it does make it it makes it seem like it was all on his character to win Le Mans.
0: Yeah, it's I'm just now I could I could And just you know, the news
1: box you know you Shelby comes back from France and says, oh, you were right. It was the fuse box. Uh Now I'm interested to see if he did want to change the fuse box Mm -hmm. and went and raced and, and lost despite him wanting to change the fuse box. Right. Or he didn't have that idea at all, you know. And he just lost because he lost.
0: Here's another. This is so interesting, man. What you
1: don't know is Ford actually raced the last fifteen years prior with him. No. Well, here, here. So check this out. In
0: this movie, depicts Ford going to Enzo and saying, "We want to buy Ferrari." Yeah. And Ferrari saying, "Screw you," and selling to Fiat. According to Wikipedia, and this is just me doing brief research right now. This isn't this isn't me cuz there's whole websites that de- devote time to like what actually happened. But we've been talking about 65, 66, 67. Apparently Fiat took a 50% stake in Ferrari but only in 1969, which is after all of this. It's after Ken Miles even died. Like which was actually Pretty accurately depicted. I was I wasn't sure about. I thought he had died in a race, but he didn't. He died test, yeah, uh, test racing a car like that. But see, that's but that's so interesting. And you're right. Like ultimately, it's based on a true story, based on actual events. But movies aren't documentaries. Move. You know, these movies like this are not designed to be documentaries. They're designed to better tell a particular story, follow a dramatic through line.
1: Which I think this story would have been just as interesting in a documentary form because you're showing sure the, you're showing the story of Ford trying to develop something good enough to beat Enzo Ferrari. <laughs> and that in itself is a, uh, an interesting storyline, right? Without all the dramatic effect, but that,
0: the but the motivation is different, you know. It's like absolutely different. In this movie, you see Enzo basically flip double birds to everybody yeah. at Ford, yeah. which is basically like you're all the sons of whores. You're terrible. Yeah. Everyone, you're you're like you're not Henry Ford. You're Henry Ford the second, which is the worst. I was like,
1: oh, you son of a bitch. I hope he said that.
0: But. And, and Henry Ford – and that's the motivation for Henry Ford II to get into Le Mans, right? But it's backwards in real life. So it takes away the natural motivation that audiences can attach themselves to in this movie from real life. Like in real life, uh, and again, without being a Ford or a it's Ferrari just two historian
1: – yeah. Trying to beat each other. That's yeah. really all it is. And
0: the Fiat thing didn't happen. I, 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 And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just a Wikipedia shithead who's doing it wrong here. So all of this could be wrong and misinformed and whatever. And if any listener is an expert on Ford and Ferrari and Fiat and that whole thing, by all means, let me know. Shoot me an email, popcorndietpodcast at com. I want to know if I'm wrong or not. But I just find that interesting how – these movies that are
1: based on actual events, Frankenstein, the reality. So, how you have to take it then is an original story based off of actual events. Actual events, yeah. Which, in that form, it's a great story. And that's
0: what most
1: you know yeah. movies based
0: on actual events do. I mean, think about Braveheart. Braveheart's one of the most inaccurate historical portrayals. Yeah. Um, there are so many movies where it's like, well. It got this wrong. It got that wrong. And there are some movies that really slave away to try and find that, that accuracy to the event and the situation and the people and so on and so forth. You, you want to watch true history, just watch the documentary. Watch documentary. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. All right. Let's wrap it up because I do want to talk about this movie is also really funny. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about some of my favorite parts in the movie. What was your favorite part? If you had to pick a favorite part, I wrote down some just in case. But what I wrote down is the fight that they have out in the front yard. It's in the trailers and all that, but it's still entertaining as hell. Um, I just like the – the. you brought up the scene with the red folder. Yeah. And I liked how they call Shelby in after they lose, and it's like, why shouldn't I shit-can all of you right now? And he uses the folder. You talked about this red folder. That's passed through dozens of hands, and he can't do this by committee. And it ends with him like, look it out at that, look it out at that factory. It was crafting B B-52s, you know, you have permission to go to war. Like, that's just a great scene. Um, I also have probably my favorite scene in the movie, but it's where they show up to the airplane hangar and Shelby locks Josh Lucas in the in the office and basically kidnaps Ford to take him on a test drive of the car. Um I loved I thought the movie really kicked it up a notch at Daytona when he dri- when he writes on the sign and it says 7000 rpm go like hell like the music kicks in Christian Bale's like all right let's go and you can feel the movie go up oh, to absolutely. another level pretty much any time Christian Bale gets angry but somebody's really entertaining and then I have the perfect lap where they say to him, like, you got to ease up. You got to let everybody win. And he goes out and gets his perfect lap before basically being a team yeah. player. Any of those strike you as your favorites? I even have a couple that I forgot to write down. But, like, as far as, like, favorite scenes go or stuff that you really liked.
1: Honestly, the, the red folder, that scene stuck out to me. Um, the perfect lap. So good. It was so good. It was, It was a good payoff because mm-hmm. um, they had been talking
0: about it a few times. And that's what this movie lays some seeds. Like they talk about 7,000 RPM a yeah. few times. They talk about the perfect lap a few times and they pay those off
1: Yeah, really well. It, it's a great payoff. Um, yeah, any scene with those two together, mm-hmm. e, there's just a, a great chemistry. Um, it just goes to show two great actors and... Being able to just jump into these roles and y- you fully believe in their relationship mm-hmm. and the fight, you believe the the friendship, the old friendship they have. So right. It. Yeah, I mean, just any scene they're in together. I liked when
0: Shelby was screwing with the Ferrari crew in all the different ways, like stealing oh, stopwatches yeah, yeah. and. Throwing the lug nut on the ground and making them think they forgot oh, that a was, lug nut. That was
1: a great scene.
0: I love that so much. But uh, you brought up a really good point, which is these two obviously are allies throughout the entire movie, mm-hmm. right? But it's almost like you get the sense because they're butting heads. And one of my favorite things to see in movies is when you have the, the, the protagonist, the hero, if you will, and maybe an antagonist or a secondary antagonist who are at each other's throats the entire film, but then like the antagonist realizes like there's a mutual respect there, and then they join forces, and that's always great, especially when they're done with with excellent performers and actors and performances because you want these two to get on the same page yeah. the entire movie. Like you want to see like they're at each other's throats so many times and they're button heads so many times. That you're just like, if you two would just figure it out and be on the same page, you could be you can be un- undefeated. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And when they do, like when Ken gets out of his car and starts yelling at the guy about the rule book and Shelby's like, you need to cool down. And then turns around and yells yeah. at us. I'm like, yes, they're on the same page. Yeah. Like that shit is really gets you jacked up and hyped about it. Yeah. And that was the stuff I liked as well. Um, anything else, anything else you want to say about Ford v. Ferrari?
1: I think we talked a lot about Christian Bale's role, but Matt Damon's role, there was a little nuance there. There was a a deeper, there's a deeper, um, there's... It's, it's very money ball. story. There, There's a deep storyline there that uh-huh. they don't delve into completely that mm-hmm. they absolutely could. He has an entire backstory that... With his heart condition. Yeah. A he, guy who wants to he, be able to do it, but can't He anymore. won them on. I mean, he is every bit as good of a driver as... Miles. As Miles, but it's buried a little bit. Right. And... I don't know that he gets the respect that he should. He's a celebrity, but, you know, they could have, they could have, I don't know if they could have made two tortured characters, Sure, but he was slightly, slightly tortured because they do, you know, they, they have the scene where the guy's like, oh, you know, is it true about Shelby? Did he, did he quit? Right, did he lose his nerve? Did he just lose his nerve? You know, stuff, little jabs like that. So he definitely has um, reason to prove himself, if not as a racer, as a... As like a mind. Yeah, as a professional in the game. Sure. And you bring up the word tortured, which is funny, because I don't think Ken Miles is
0: all that tortured, maybe on the outside, by money. Yeah. His is an external problem. I need to make money. I'm I'm great, but I... My personality is holding me back. I actually think there's (coughs) a lot of really interesting stuff with Shelby, specifically once Ken dies. And obviously they don't they don't delve into this a lot, but you gotta imagine like the last scene with Shelby where he's trying to talk with Miles' son and Damon's like again, capital A acting, like doing some great internal work there. But there's imagine being the guy. Who designed the car that killed your best friend? Oh yeah, like that's some heavy shit, you know. And and he gets an opportunity to play with that a little bit, you know. He gets an opportunity to yell at his at Remington. It's like, what am I? Am I out here to finish a sale or blah 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 blah? You know, whatever. Um, It's tough, and it's I listen. I'm not gonna lie. I was there was a little dust in the theater at the end there. I got a little. I was like, I had to. I had to. I was like, oh man, what's happening? I got, you know it struck a chord. I I didn't roll a tear, but it certainly got a little dusty in the movie theater when he was talking about the wrench and
1: sitting there and composing himself and all See, that. See, I, I I stopped myself by humming Life is a Highway. <laughs> you son <of> a bitch. <laughs> all right. Well, I think
0: that's going to put a nice perfect exclamation point on this. Matt, what do you have going on for everybody? Where where, where can people follow you? What are you doing? You're doing uh, People
1: can follow m- me at Tremaine Ranch at Tremaine Ranch on on, on, on all Instagram platforms. and Facebook. We are a event rental company. Event rental furniture Plan- planning. Not planning anymore. Uh, it depends, depends Yeah, if your event is worth it it or not. It depends on the event, but mostly furniture rentals for events. So for sure, Tremaine Ranch. But if you're in Phoenix, Arizona area, not even Phoenix, you
0: and I did a run down to Tucson one time, Yep. check out Tremaine Ranch for event rentals, weddings, parties, whatever. You got to pick up after we're done recording. So I appreciate you spending the time with me, but check it out at, at Tremaine Ranch. Um, But and also, obviously, don't forget, you know, you can subscribe to the Popcorn Diet. Take a second. Hit subscribe. Hit follow. Hit like. Hit share. Give us a five star review. Give us a four star review if you want. If you think there's something we could be doing better, let us know. But take just a second. To write it down, subscribe, share us with your friends or family. Don't forget to check us out on patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. And uh, and throw a couple bucks the way of the podcast. If you can spare it and if you like what we do, let us know. It'll help us do it even more. Don't forget, not only can you follow Tremaine Ranch on Facebook and on Instagram, but at the popcorn diet is there as well. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the popcorn diet. And of course, don't forget, you can find all of our regular episodes, articles, Oscar predictions, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for our special guest, good movie buddy, Matt Theodosis, thank you again. I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the popcorn diet. Adios.